Welcome to Murder Most Foul, a podcast devoted to exploring famous murder cases of our time. Some solved, some unsolved, but all fascinating and guaranteed to raise the hairs on the back of your neck. I'm your host, Jim Solonowski. Today's episode... Tangled Web. For those listeners out there who are looking for love on the internet, you may change your mind after hearing the story of Carrie Farver, a young woman who is the victim of a cyberstalker who eventually murdered her, and as if that weren't enough, terrorized everyone around her for years. The tale is best told by my guest today, Leslie Rule, daughter of the late true crime author Anne Rule, who wrote The Stranger Beside Me about her experience working side by side with Ted Bundy. As you will hear, the apple does not fall far from the tree. The book is Tangled Web, and my guest is Leslie Rule. Welcome, Leslie. Thanks for having me. Uh, the title of the book is Tangled Web. And on one of the first few pages, you have a quote from Sir Walter Scott. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. We all know that quote, but the double meaning on this is this is a crime that is web-based. Right. So it fit perfectly. It just seemed like such a natural. It was one of the first things I came up with and nothing else sounded better because the killer did uh, weave a web of deceit. And like you said, she used the web as her, uh, one of her tools uh, to stalk victims. Now, to just set it up, this is, a, like I said, it's a true case. And basically, if you're searching for it, it's probably found on under uh, Carrie Far- Farvra. Is how it's pronounced? Far- Farver. Farver. Okay. Far- Carrie Farver, and uh, who is uh, ultimately um, the victim, is the, yes. the person who is indeed murdered. But it's obviously, we'll find out, it's based, especially based on the title, it's not as simple as it sounds. So... I'm going to let you run a little bit with this because it is such a new book. And just for those people who are out there, I, I hope this will be uh, posted in a couple of weeks. There was a wonderful uh, 2020 uh, last Friday from when we're taping now that covered the case for two hours. So I'm going to let uh, Leslie sort of uh, give us the, you know, the, the big picture of what the case was all about. Sure. Um, it happened in Omaha in November of 2012. Uh, there were two females dating a guy by the name of Dave Krupa. He was a mechanic, nice guy, and he was casually dating two women. He hadn't known either of them very long, and one of them disappeared. She was murdered, um, but the killer made it appear that the victim was still alive and had become a stalker. The killer sent over 20,000 emails and texts in the name of the victim over the next several years. That's what makes the case so convoluted because of all the deceit that was going on. And 
so again, the, the, the main people in the beginning is, as you said, the gentleman, David Krupa, um, and uh, he was a divorced man with a couple of, ki- couple of kids. Um, he never been married, but he did live with his um, girlfriend, the mother of his children, for many years. Got it. And there were a couple of children, right? Yep, they had two kids. And her name was Amy Flora. Amy Flora, really nice woman. And uh, Dave was lonely, first time on his own in a long time. And he thought he'd um, check out some of these online dating sites, see if he could meet somebody, just for some fun. And so he got onto the site called Plenty of Fish. And uh, the very first person he met was Liz Golyer. Both she and Dave were in their late 30s. And they went on a coffee date. Um, Nothing much came of that. It was just kind of friendly. And they went on a few more. And he was attracted to her. But he wasn't so sure she liked him. He, he said after the fact, she was probably giving me signals, but I wasn't catching any of them. He was rusty. He hadn't been on the dating scene for years. And things had changed a lot since he was young and single. Um, used to be, you know, when you're young, he was 19 or 20 when he was uh, single. And you, he'd meet people and it was casual and nobody stood on ceremony. And now here he was uh, in his 30s, going on a date with a mature woman for the first time. And he wasn't really sure how to act. Um, But she seemed to really like him. And after a few dates, he got up his nerve to kiss her. And um, that was it. They they ended up um, getting passionate and had a lot of fun. But he really wasn't interested in a commitment because he'd just gotten out of that committed relationship. And he had made that very, very clear from the beginning. Every single woman he met, he told her right up front, look, I just wanna have some fun. Don't expect me to be your boyfriend, just casual. And he made it clear and he thought that would be good enough that if he made his, if he made his intentions clear, nobody would get hurt. He never wanted to hurt anyone's feelings. He was coming from a, play, from a good place. But unfortunately, one of the females he dated got a little bit too attached. And she became obsessed with him. And she nagged him and nagged him to to get closer to her. And he kept telling her, no, um, that's not what I'm looking for. And the woman who became obsessed was was Liz Golyer, the very first person he met, the very first person he went out with sunk her claws into him, and she did not want to let go. And the, the murder victim, uh, Carrie, was she the, the second or third uh, after Liz? He dated, um, we're not sure exactly how many. He, he's, he didn't really keep track. But, but not a lot. He continued to meet um, quite a few, really, but he would meet these women on Plenty of Fish, and they would, they would meet up usually at a coffee house, and most of the time, it didn't go anywhere. It was just a, a coffee date, and there was no spark. But sometimes it did. And with these other women, he was up front also. And sometimes it advanced into something a little bit more serious, um, but nothing long-term, nothing that really seemed to threaten Liz. 
she was possessive of him from the beginning. It didn't get weird and dangerous until later, but even in the beginning, when she was not hiding behind any alias, she would confront him, uh, you know, about what he was doing. And, and, and he'd come back with, I thought we were casual, and she'd sort of back yeah. off a little bit. So even right from the, the get-go, uh, she was, uh, pu- pu- you know, putting her name on him. Right. And she was really jealous of his ex, Amy Flora, the mother of his kids, and he and Amy were done. They weren't interested in getting back together, but they were co-parenting. So they had to talk to each other. He'd go get the kids and, you know, wave. And uh, they were actually having quite a bit of tension in the beginning because breakups are always hard. And he had no interest in getting back with Amy. She didn't want to get back with him. But Liz would not believe that. And she'd nag him about it. And he'd say, look, if I wanted to get back with Amy tomorrow, that's none of your business but I don't want to. We're not planning on doing that. And um, she just would not let go of that thought. And she was intensely jealous about it. Carrie, as you said, he saw a couple of other women before Carrie, after Carrie, and then there was his, his, the mother of his children. What, is there any indication uh, from, from the case as to what caused Liz to fixate on Carrie as the main uh, rival. Obsession, yes, because he liked her so much. Carrie was the first person that he met the old-fashioned way. Everybody else stepped through their computer screen. He met them all on dating sites, but Carrie was a chance encounter. Um, She brought her car in um, to the place where he worked to, to get something minor fixed, and there was a spark, and then they both right away. And he, he wanted to ask her out, but he, he thought, I'm at work, and it's going to be embarrassing if she's not interested. Maybe I'm not reading this right. But the fact is, she did like him. And she told, um, she liked him so much, she told a friend about him. And she really wanted to see him again. So she signed up um, for Plenty of Fish because she was hoping to encounter him there. And so he saw her there and he was excited that she's single too. And so they said hi on on the site. And next time she went in to get something fixed on the car, they were both aware that the other one was single and looking to date. And right then and there, they admitted to each other they were attracted and set up a date. And if it weren't for Liz, this probably would have been a, a very happy ending. It could have been a long-term thing because there just seemed to be something special between them. But unfortunately, we'll never know um, because Carrie lost her life within about three weeks of that. (music) Carrie worked at West Corporation, which was just half a mile from Dave's apartment. And it was a long drive from her work to her house in Macedonia, where she lived with her 15-year-old son, Max. Uh, So when uh, a special project came up at work that demanded she work long hours, it was more convenient just to stay with Dave for a few days so she could finish this project. So uh, her mother and stepfather lived near her house, so they agreed to take Max for a few days. 
So she knew he'd get off to school okay. And she was really disappointed because she liked to go to all of his games. He was really an active kid. Um, but she had to do this project at work. So she was staying with Dave and it was mid-November and things to, seemed to be going really, really well. And then one morning, um, she, they got up early. Dave left for work about 6.30. And the last time he ever saw Carrie, she was sitting on the couch and she was working on coding. And he just thought she was so smart. She showed him what she, she was doing and he couldn't figure it out. And he was really uh, attracted to the fact that she had a brain. She was really smart. So it wasn't just, she wasn't just pretty, she was vivacious, she was funny. They, they were having a great time together. And that was the last moment of peace in his life for a very long time, maybe up forever again. So that day, Liz disappears. And with not a trace, not a letter, not a note, not a rolled over car, not, you know, nasty, you know, going through their, their computer and you find threats, just vanished. Except for texts, texts that were coming from Carrie's phone. That was the only sign that she was still alive. But her mother noted that those texts did not sound like her daughter. Carrie was meticulous when it came to grammar and punctuation. And she wouldn't even send a text till she had everything perfect. And suddenly she was sending her mother these hostile texts, or her mother assumed it was Carrie at first, um, sending these, these weird texts saying that she was quitting her job and moving away. And it made no sense. And Nancy instinctively knew it wasn't Carrie, but she couldn't prove that. And when she called the police to report Carrie missing after a few days, they weren't impressed. They were not particularly alarmed because her daughter was misspelling words and getting punctuation wrong. And it's very common for adults to go missing and for people to be worried. And most of the time, they're just fine. There's thousands of these cases every year of adults reported missing. Most of the time, they just wanted to take off and they just didn't think that anyone would be concerned. She had the new job. Um, she was, she'd only been there for a few months. She was doing really well, um, getting paid well. Um, she told her mom about meeting Dave, but she didn't go into detail. Her mom knew that she was staying with a guy named Dave in Omaha, but that's all she knew. She didn't know the guy's last name. She didn't really know anything. Um, all she knew was that all of a sudden, her daughter seemed to be behaving in a very erratic fashion. And right away, she knew something was wrong. And she doubted it was Carrie. She still couldn't be sure. And the problem was that Carrie had issues with anxiety. Many of us do. I do. Um, you do too. <laughs> uh, it's, so, it's very common. And she had been diagnosed as bipolar recently, but only one doctor had told her that. We, there's no definitive test to say whether or not a person's bipolar. Uh, so to this day, we really don't know if she was, but even if she was, she had never behaved in an irrational manner before. 
It just wasn't in her character. One of the um, texts that Liz sent to David, pretending to be Carrie, um, said, um, I love you. Don't ignore me or I will tear out your whore's eyes and slit her throat, uh, meaning Liz, I guess. Why did Liz feel that was important to trash someone that she had killed who can never show up again? Liz wanted to look like a victim. She wanted Dave to be concerned about her and to give her attention. And when she behaved like a, a victim and she told him she was so scared she couldn't even go outside at night, he felt terrible. And he tried to reassure her and protect her. He still didn't want a relationship with her, um, but they started seeing each other again because of this stalking. They were both seemed to be, um, they were both getting stalked and they bonded over that. So Liz was stalking herself in the guise yeah. of Carrie. So she was yeah. writing texts to herself. And of course, uh, Liz would show them to Dave. And then she would also send nasty texts to uh, to to David and to uh, Carrie's mom. Yes. And uh, one of the things that was scariest, aside from the whole way of of creating face fake Facebook pages, which uh, Liz did in Carrie's name, so people would go there and leave messages. But it was to 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 ultimately to Liz. Carrie was dead. Something called Letter Me Later, which can really cover your tracks. Tell us about Letter Me Later. Well, it's an app that allows you to send uh, an email to arrive at a later time. So you could schedule it to arrive the next day at 2 p.m. So Liz was sending emails to herself and to Dave via letter me later. And then the, they would show up, they'd both get a little alert on their phone at the same time. So she and Dave would be hanging out, watching a movie, Maybe her purse is across the room and they'd both get an alert. Oh, we, we got an email. They'd pick up their phones and there would be these horrible messages from someone claiming to be Carrie. And Dave felt really bad because Liz seemed to be genuinely frightened. If any one of us were to spend a day or two online, we could find these kinds of apps that would help us trick people. And most of us won't do that because most of us aren't trying to trick anyone. But what we all have to be aware of is that there are predators who are constantly trying to trick us. Usually they just want our money. Um, but sometimes it's worse. Sometimes they want blood. And I think it's really important that all of us educate ourselves about these apps and we become aware of them. Um, a lot of people don't realize that on their Facebook page, there's privacy settings that they can change. And it's very easy to do. You could set your Facebook page so nobody can see the posts but your friends. And there's one option is who can see your page. You could set it so it says, my friends and my friends' friends. Well, I don't think that's a very good idea if you're someone who wants to keep things private. For instance, if you're posting pictures of your children and your grandchildren, I don't think those should be public. So I think it's a better idea to say just your friends because one of your friends might have someone that they think is okay, but really is a predator because these people most often will 
um, pretend to be someone on your friend list, friends list. And they will take their photo, their name, and they will send you a friend request. And a lot of times people don't realize, see if um, Sue Smith sends you a friend request, they won't realize, oh, well, yes, we're already friends. They'll forget that they friended her a year before. When you get those, it's really important to, uh, if you click on the little wheel next to it, you can report them to Facebook. And one of the options is, well, you, I think, I believe the first question is, you can click something is wrong. And then they say, what is it? And there's different options. And one of them is someone's pretending to be a friend. And then you send that, then you click and send. Usually takes a few days before they remove that person. But we all have to remember to do that because it's going to make the predator's job harder if we do. But it doesn't stop with just um, Liz and, and, and David. Now, this is even more twisted. Tell us about Garrett. Okay. Yes. Um, he told me his whole story. That's actually a pseudonym for his real name because he decided he wanted a little privacy. But the guy I call Garrett had been Liz's boyfriend. He thought they were exclusive um, two years before she'd even met Dave Krupa. So here she was hooking up with Dave Krupa, making it appear that she was single and then getting jealous when he dated other women. But all this time she had a boyfriend and she was living with him part of the time. He was oblivious, a very, very nice guy. Uh, she took advantage of him. And right. And so, I mean, at one point, you know, she said that she was going to be put out of her place. And, and so he sort of invited her in, but she ended up like for privacy living in the basement. And of course she had at least one child, correct? He had two, a but, boy and a girl. What did she ha She had a child though, didn't she? Liz had two. Two. So they came over at times. Garrett yeah. had none. Garrett had no, has no children. So, right. so Liz and her two children moved in with Garrett he thought we're taking our our relationship to the next level he thought they were going to share a room um but as soon as she moved in she made it very clear that she saw it as a roommate situation one where she doesn't have to pay for anything so he's paying all he's paying for everything but it goes further than that there's arson and dead animals oh yeah. i hate you know i'm a big animal lover but um at one, and I didn't go into detail about this in the book. I didn't even give the pets names because I know how hard it is for people. I, I'll put a book down if I come across something like this. So I brushed over it. Um, to get attention and probably to destroy a crime scene, Liz set fire to her own house with, with four pets inside. And they perished. Um, she... After she set the fire, she didn't realize if she left all the windows and the door shut that the fire would be suffocated. So not a lot was burned, but there was bad smoke damage. And that's how the pets perished. And she has no feeling for anyone but herself. In her mind, her pets could be replaced. She 
she doesn't have like most of us would be brokenhearted to lose our pet in such a tragic way. She didn't care. And so slowly, um, I, like I said, all these things are piling up, not in weeks, not in days or weeks, but in, in months and years, you know, not just the nasty texts and threatening emails, but aside from the arson, there's more uh, vandalism going on over this time. Um, uh, stuff, dirty whore, stuff like that painted on garages, bricks uh, being thrown through uh, Dave's window when he's uh, there with another woman. But eventually, um, the law does become involved. Yes. Um, Nancy Rainey kept trying to tell police, something has happened to my daughter. And they still believed that Carrie had flipped out. They said, well, she stopped taking her meds. She's, she's, a, she's gone nuts. And they thought the fact that Liz and Dave were both reporting that Carrie was stalking them proved their point. Now we have two different um, we have two different police departments in two different states, two different jurisdictions. We've got over in Omaha, we've got Liz and Dave reporting this horrible, endless stalking, and in Iowa we've got Nancy Rainey reporting her daughter missing, reporting Carrie missing. She's a missing person in Iowa. She is a suspected stalker in Omaha. And in reality, Carrie was one of the nicest people, very kind-hearted, would never have done anything like what they were blaming her for. And Dave, after he learned the truth, he felt terrible for, for blaming her and believing the illusion that was created. And that's one of the really icky parts about this is he, she didn't just kill her, she destroyed her reputation. But her mother, she knew she knew all the time, my daughter would not do this. She was really getting discouraged. Now, this is really important to clarify that a new group of detectives came in and asked for the case because it did not sound right to them. And that was detectives Jim Doughty and Ryan Avis. If not for them, this probably would not be solved. And they'd heard water cooler talk and something just did not sound right about that. So they asked for the case and they said, all right, let's go about this two ways. One of them explored the case as if Carrie were still alive. The other one explored it as if Carrie were dead. It quickly became apparent she was no longer alive. Her bank account hadn't been touched. No one had seen her or heard her voice. In, in, um, at this point, it was over two years and the only communication had been via text and emails with sloppy grammar that didn't even sound like her. A fake Facebook page had been set up for her. Um, they realized that Carrie was no longer alive. And Detective Doty went to see Nancy Rainey, Carrie's mom, and she said she was, at that point, she was really fed up with the police. And she knew he was coming over. She wasn't happy about it. She was so tired of hearing people say her daughter was a stalker and they weren't doing anything to help her. And when Detective Doty came in, he said to Nancy, I want you to know, we don't think Carrie left on her own. 
Nancy was so relieved, she said she hugged him. For the first time, somebody was believing her that something had happened to Carrie. So they did start to investigate and they found a lot of evidence and it started to pile up, but most of it was circumstantial. Uh, for instance, Liz had allowed police early on to download her phone. When she went in and reported Carrie as a stalker, she allowed the cops to look on her phone for information. So she, she turned it over to him, let him download it. She was, um, at that time, there's two different kinds of downloads that can be done. And this was not a real thorough download. This first download would not retrieve deleted information. And that information was still in possession. The police still had possession of it. So Dodie and Avis poured, poured over it. And one of the things they discovered was when Carrie went missing in mid-November of 2012, her Ford Explorer also disappeared. And there was no sign of it until January when Dave Krupa found it in his parking lot heaped with snow. And he realized it had been there for a while, uh, maybe a week or so, because they just had a big snow. He knew it hadn't been there before. Yet, when the detectives went through Liz's phone that she'd allowed them to download, they found a photo of that Ford Explorer on Liz's phone, and that photo was taken on Christmas Eve 2012, weeks before it showed up. In Dave's she, I believe she also says she's never, she never went questioning then or, or later. She never saw the car. She didn't know what, what uh, uh, Carrie drove. She never saw the car, was never in the car. He always denies everything. And <laughs> she sounds very, very convincing. She's a very good liar. You know, if I didn't know the whole story and I heard Liz talking, I'd probably believe her. If I just was coming in and I heard just a little bit and Liz... I heard how emphatic she is when she's saying she's never seen Carrie's car. She doesn't know what she drives. I would have believed her. And a lot of people did. And at that time when they did go through the, through the uh, uh, Explorer, uh, they, you know, were sort of looking for things. They didn't sort of thought she was killed in it. So they had a, a first look later, they have another look at it. And again, much more, you know, with a lot of information they now have, they decide to, uh, if there might have been some blood, they want to, uh, you know, pull up, up the, the uh, uh, upholstery and sort of look at the cushions. Yeah, well, initially, they didn't, they didn't think that the car was the crime scene. They didn't think she was killed there, but they thought it was possible that a body had been transported. So no one was really looking for blood initially. And so they did do, um, they did do a couple searches of the car and didn't find anything incriminating. Um, except for a mint container with one perfect fingerprint on it that was not Carrie's fingerprint. They didn't know whose it was. Um, so later on, um, they went back the third time to check out the car after Liz produced some emails that she said were from the real stalker. And Liz started to claim that Dave's ex, Amy Flora, 
was the real stalker and that she must have done something to Carrie. The detectives actually tricked Liz into telling them about the murder. And they did that by pretending to believe Liz when she told them Amy Flora was the real stalker and, and Amy must have done something to Carrie. And they, they said, well, gee, you know, if only we had something in writing. They were a lot smarter than Liz gave them credit for. They were playing dumb. Um, so she presented them with some emails that, that she said Amy had written to her that were basically, they were confessions. Now, Amy is a very kind-hearted, gentle person. And she would never hurt anybody. Um, but Liz had a goal of two things. She wanted Dave all to herself. So she wanted to get rid of Amy. And if Amy was in prison, that was a good way to get rid of her. And also, she wanted uh, her to be the scapegoat in Carrie's murder. So by writing these emails, she figured she'd take care of two problems. So she gave them uh, details uh, about the murder in these confessions that supposedly are coming from Amy. So these are details that only the murderer would know. And as soon as the police very early on, uh, you know, uh, ruled out Amy as a suspect, then it's got to be someone else who's writing these emails. And of course, it's just piling up on her. There's not a third or fourth person yeah. that's doing this. That these, this group of detectives, well, I don't think anybody really ever thought that Amy had anything to do with it, but Dodie and Avis never suspected Amy for a second. It was very clear from the beginning that Amy was innocent. But um, Liz, we're not done yet of piling on Amy. Uh, when um, a little bit of a while later, uh, she actually uh, shoots herself and accuses Amy. Yes. So, so after Liz reported to police that she was terrified because Amy Flora was stalking her, that night, Liz went to Big Lake Park, a huge park, at night, after dark, uh, an onlet park. It was cold, cold December night left her cell phone in the car and took a walk in the dark to think. And she claimed that suddenly she heard a female voice ordering her to get on the ground. And she did. And then she was shot. She claims that she was shot in the thigh and that the person sounded just like Amy Flora. There's two different police jurisdictions and Dodie and Avis were following the case very, very closely, and Liz was their main suspect. But after Liz was shot, a couple of other officers went to Amy's apartment and knocked on the door, and poor Amy opened the door to see guns pointed at her. They told Amy that someone named Shanna Golier had been shot. Amy was confused because she knew Shanna by her nickname, Liz. And it took her a minute to figure out who that was. And when she realized who they were talking about, the first thing Amy said was, is she okay? And she was sincere. And, and Liz had been harassing her. She wasn't very nice to her. But Amy is so kind-hearted. Her first thought was for the person who was trying to frame her for murder. 
And the police determined pretty quickly that it couldn't have been Amy. Amy was home with her, her young child all night. Uh, they felt the hood of her car. It was ice cold. Um, they knew. So Liz is getting more and more uh, tangled in her own web of lies. But um, the, and the police continue to uh, deep download, if you will, get to uh, items on her phone and other places that she thought she'd erased. And there is one particular photo, very disturbing, that was pretty much uh, the lock on the case. Why don't you tell us about that? Jody and Avis um, started working with Deputy Anthony Cava, who is a genius. Um, and he, he's a computer genius, and he is able to find things that other people can't find. And so he was able to retrieve things that Liz believed that she had deleted. And when they got to the point where they actually had enough evidence that they could get a search warrant to go through her apartment, they found more evidence. They found some things that had been stolen from Carrie's house including a video camera with the last video that Carrie had ever taken. Eventually, they had enough that they could arrest Liz, but most of their evidence was circumstantial. The case went to trial, and it was going to be really difficult because Liz's defense attorney, James Martin Davis, wanted the trial to happen almost immediately because Criminals have a right to a speedy trial. And no body had been found for Carrie. There were no remains. And he figured it's not a real strong case. We'll take it to trial as soon as possible before they have a chance to find a body. And I'll get her off. Well, this made, a, this made it really tough for the prosecutors and the detectives. They were all working together to try to put a strong enough case together that Liz would be convicted, um, but they were, they were going for it. They were working really, really hard. And then shortly before the trial, Anthony Cava asked David Krupa, hey, do you happen to have any other electronic equipment, anything, a phone or a computer that um, you forgot to give us, something that might have more, some more information on it? And he thought for a minute and said, well, I think there's an iPad in storage. And they said, well, could, could you find that for us? So he did, and he brought it to Kava. And inside of that iPad was a disc. And that disc had at one time been in Liz Gollier's phone. She thought she had deleted everything on it, and she recycled it to play games on the iPad. She's trying to save some money, I guess. Um, but she was unaware that Kava had the ability to bring back deleted images. And as he, as he accessed these images, he realized very quickly that he was, uh, he recognized some of the images from other downloads they had done of Liz's phone. And he knew this is, this disc had been in, in Liz's phone. So he's going over the images when all of a sudden he sees something that he's not quite sure what it is. It's kind of creepy. And he has a forensic pathologist determine that the image is a close-up of a foot with 
a tattoo on it, but the foot is in a state of decay. And the tattoo matches the tattoo Carrie had. So that turned out to be the strongest piece of evidence they had, and they were able to convict Liz on that. You say the foot, and it is indicated in the book, that as it was in a period of decay, so if it's a, de if it's a decaying foot, how long did, was the body around somewhere, and why did she go back and take a picture? That's very, very creepy, and all we can do is contemplate, and the prosecutors believe that that photo was a trophy. In addition to that, they believe that Liz's shower curtain was a trophy because Liz purchased a shower curtain at Walmart along with a whole bunch of other stuff a few days after Carrie died using Carrie's debit card. And they, they figured this out because they got a hold of Carrie's bank records and saw this large purchase at Walmart and they, they were able to look and see exactly what each item was. Uh, and they saw that a shower curtain, a particular shower curtain, had been purchased. Sure enough, they found that shower curtain in one of the photos, one of the selfies Liz had taken. She was standing in her bathroom with the shower curtain behind her. It was brand new. They could still see the creases in it from where it had been folded. And the timing was right for it to be um, the Walmart shower curtain. It was purchased with Carrie's debit card. Now, I, I do know that the, your book, uh, Tangle Web, was written um, after um, the, the trial conviction, um, et cetera. Um, but you obviously spoke to and, and did research um, on the whole case. What was um, Liz's demeanor like at the trial? Liz didn't say anything. No. And the, I asked... Um, James Masteller, the um, one of the prosecutors, he and Brenda Beadle, great, um, great attorneys, prosecuted the case. And I asked James um, what Liz's expression was throughout the whole trial. And he said, you know, I really did matter because I was focused on what I was doing. He said, not until we got the guilty verdict. And then he looked over at her and, he, and the only sign that something was wrong was her neck had turned red. And he could see her neck and it was creeping up her face. But, but there were no tears, no real expression to speak of. And that's how she was throughout the whole trial, except on a couple occasions when she looked adoringly at a photo of Dave Krupa. It was a photo of, of, of Dave and Liz together that was shown. And also when Dave took the stand, witnesses said that Liz stared at him, dreamy look in her eyes as if she were still infatuated with him. And other than that, she was stone cold. She was uh, convicted and uh, sentenced to prison. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember, Nebraska had the death penalty, but it was suspended at the time, or they did have it, but she was, well, it was in a capital uh, case? Um, there had to be. I asked the prosecutor about that, and he said, um, in Nebraska, in order for there 
in order for us to ask for the factors, and those were not present in this particular case. Uh, one example would be if someone has killed a large number of people, or if this was not their first convicted murder, or if it was the death of a police officer, um, it ha there have to be at least one, usually two, um, of those reasons. There's a whole list of things that fit into that category. And she was, she did not, um, Liz was not eligible for the death penalty. That did, wasn't something they considered. Did she get a number of years or life without parole? Life without parole. You had a, a letter or some sort of uh, a, a communication with Liz in prison, is that correct? Yes, I wrote to Liz early on and asked, if, I told her I was writing this book and asked if she had anything she wanted to say. And she wrote back a very polite letter and said that she was trying to prove her innocence and it wouldn't be good for her to have a book out there right now. So she changed her mind, but it was over a year later. And at the time she sent me the letter, the book had already gone to, to print. And she said that um, in this new letter that she sent me, it was six and a half pages long. And she listed all of the reasons why she couldn't possibly be guilty. And they, they really weren't very convincing. But she said she thought that the real killer was out there and that she was going to fight every day she was in there to prove her innocence and be free again. What made you, what, what you know, piqued your interest to do this particular case? I was looking for a case of a, a female predator because I wanted to warn people, once again, how very dangerous females can be. And my mom wrote quite a few books about females who kill. And I just don't think we can be reminded of that enough because they're more dangerous than males because we're not suspecting them and we let our guard down. And I want everyone to be aware just how dangerous a female can be even when she's a mother, even when there's this illusion of softness. So I picked, um, that's one of the reasons I picked this case. And I also like that it, had a new element to it. And that was um, the use of electronics to both commit and conceal her crimes. And also the detectives used electronics to solve the crime. In this, in this story, there, uh, Nancy, who was Carrie's mom, uh, and lost her ex-husband, who was Carrie's father, right. died, and he, quote-unquote, appeared to, appeared to her in a dream. One of the reasons that they knew that Carrie didn't leave on her own was that she was really close to her father and he was dying of cancer. And they knew that she would never have abandoned her dying father. And also she didn't show up for the funeral. Um, Nancy was asleep one night and she had this very, very intense dream. And her ex-husband, Dennis, the one who died of cancer appeared and he said, Nancy, don't worry about her anymore. She's with me. And it was so intense, it woke her up. 
and it was more than a dream. It was as if he'd really been there. Uh, it was very, very vivid. And it, the, the dream did a couple of things. On the one hand, it made her feel like Carrie's soul was okay. She was with her dad. She was with her grandparents. And Nancy believes she'll see her again. And she believes in the afterlife, and so do I. And so it was reassuring in that way. Um, but it was also a letdown to think maybe she'd never see her daughter again in this life. Um, the dream was comforting, but it was not a definitive answer. And she was still left really confused, unsure what happened to Carrie. So uh, checking the clock on the Zoom wall, um, before we get, um, get thrown off, is there um, anything else you'd like to say um, in closing? I think you did a pretty good job of that. Just wanted to tell people to be extra careful. Um, in some ways, we're safer than ever because the police now have tools where they can more quickly catch criminals because of electronics, because there are um, security cameras everywhere, because they can ping phones and figure out where people have been. We can stay safe if we keep ourselves educated. And I just want to close um, to remind everyone who's listening that aside from the interest and um, suspense, if you will, of the high techie techie of this uh, crime and its, uh, its eventual uh, solving of, that uh, at the core of it is a young lady, um, Carrie, who had a, at the time, a, a uh, teenage son, and she cannot be forgotten in this story. Yes, that's the saddest part through all this is the loss of Carrie. So again, I, I do want to thank uh, Leslie for her time tonight. Uh, she's very busy uh, and very busy writing. I hope she'll write more, and I'm going to pick up some more things. You write fiction, too, as well. I do. So she writes fiction as well as uh, true crime. I'm right now into the true crime, but some of the, um, uh, you know, fiction can be fun, too. Uh, but I, I get a kick out of something that's live. So I want to, again, thank Leslie Rule. The book, again, is uh, Tangled Web. And, again, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me.